Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. Chapter 6 describes for us the early stages of the ministry of the church and how they brought structure and organization to its organic life. And and I want us to see how that structure and organization really shape and direct and focus the church in its redemptive mission so that ministry can flow freely and powerfully from the church out into the world. And so let me read for us Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7, and after that I'll pray and we'll begin talking about the shape of ministry in the church. So let's give our attention to God's Word. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. This is God's holy Word. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith." grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him and ask for his help this morning. Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for giving to us your word, for revealing yourself to us, and we thank you for doing that in this passage of scripture, and we thank you that you give us a very realistic picture of the church, the early church, um, a place where complaints would arise, a place where maybe unintended certain people's needs are being looked over. And uh, Father, we thank you for how you work by your Spirit through the church uh, to correct things like that and how um, you continue to be at work in your church, uh, even here in Baton Rouge. And so we pray that as we look at your word together this morning, that you would help us learn from what we see here in the shape of, uh, in the way the ministry of the church took shape in these early stages, um, and how you would have our ministry here take shape um, to this community in this city. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in 1996, the Summer Olympics were held in Atlanta, Georgia, Um, but there was a portion of 
the Olympics, it didn't take place exactly there, um, but there was the kayak races actually took place in, um, on the upper Ocoee River in Tennessee. And they actually, what they did was they used up this dried up they used this dried up riverbed uh, of the Ocoee to build this kayak slalom course because this particular riverbed, um, when the TVA built their dams in, ni- in the 1940s, had dammed up this particular riverbed, and so it was dry. And so they came in, and to get it ready for the Olympics, they narrowed that riverbed by two-thirds so that they could channel the water to create... Um, the right stream flow to really get it moving, in other words. And they, they placed and they cemented boulders into the riverbed because they had to create the right amount, right number of drops and eddies and all that kind of stuff. And, and then they opened the dam. And this river came to life, right, with water flowing freely and powerfully through that once dried up riverbed. And it's actually the only in-river course ever used in Olympic competition. Every other course has been completely man-made, and it's the only course to channel and harness and direct the natural flow of river water to create the right speed and slope that was needed for these races. And I tell you that because I think that's a pretty good picture of what's happening in Acts chapter 6. The church needed a structure that reflected its mission, a structure and organization that would channel and harness and direct the life-giving, reconciling, transforming power of the gospel into the world a shape that would allow gospel ministry to flow freely and powerfully into the world. Luke's the author of Acts, if you didn't know that, and he tells us at the end of this story in verse 7 the result of shaping ministry like that. What did he say? He said, the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And many priests even came to faith, he says. Gospel ministry, he's saying, because they came along and shaped the ministry in such a way, it began to flow even more freely and more powerfully into the world. So here are the three points I want us to consider. A ministry in conflict, a ministry in deed, and a ministry in word. All right, first, a ministry in conflict. I toyed with whether or not to include this point, but I I think it's important and and, and very practical. Um, Because, see, this story is telling us it was the conflict, it was the trouble that led to the shaping of ministry. Why? Because the conflict came in, in this story, and it exposed a bigger, deeper issue in the life of the church. In the first house that my wife and I bought, um, we started having trouble with our washing machine. It, it started backing up with water, and it wasn't draining properly. And we started wondering, okay, is it time for us to buy 
a new washing machine. But before we went to buy the washing machine, we started having the problem in our kitchen because the kitchen sink started filling up with water and it wasn't draining properly. And then creeping down our house, uh, the, the bathtub in the hallway bathroom, it stopped draining properly. And so um, after spending a lot of money on Drano that didn't fix the problem, we called the plumber. And he came in and what he basically said was, the washing machine and the kitchen sink and the bathtub, those are just symptoms of a deeper, bigger problem that you have. And the bigger problem was that the main plumbing line underneath the house had flattened. And because of that, the water couldn't drain properly. It couldn't flow properly. Right? And by the time these guys finished breaking through my concrete patio in my backyard and digging trenches in my backyard to get underneath the house and fix that plumbing line, uh, I wished I only had to buy a washing machine because I could have bought 12 washing machines for what it cost me. Um, but the point is that the symptoms on the surface revealed the deeper, bigger issue, why the water wasn't flowing properly. Going through conflict and not steering around it is messy and hard and uncomfortable. My concrete patio had to be ripped up. These guys had to get down in the dirt and in the mess and dig underneath my house to get the water flowing properly. And it was going through conflict that the early church shaped the ministry so that the life-giving power of the gospel could flow freely and powerfully into the world. So Acts chapter 6 tells us that there are two groups of widows in Jerusalem who were dependent upon the ministry of the church to meet their very real felt needs. They were the culturally Greek but Jewish widows, the Hellenists, and the culturally Hebraic uh, Jewish widows, the Hebrews. But through some kind of neglect and administration, the Hellenist widows' needs had fallen through the cracks and were neglected. So verse 1, they were neglected in the daily distribution, which was most likely food. A very real, practical, felt need to be hungry, to not be able to provide for yourself. And so a complaint was made, verse 1. That's the conflict, right? And the early church leadership had to go through conflict to face the bigger issue. So what was the bigger issue? The church needed a structure, a shape of ministry that reflected its redemptive mission in the world. A mission that, that, yes, ministered God's word, God's gospel, the good news of Jesus to broken people estranged from God. And at the same time, a mission that ministered in deeds to broken bodies with real, tangible, practical felt needs. And only by focusing on both a ministry of word and a ministry of deed would the gospel ministry flow freely and powerfully into the world. Now, before we look at these two ministries, ministry of deed and ministry of word, I, I want you to think about this. The Bible doesn't give us a rosy, polished, clean picture of the church anywhere. Right, it gives us a realistic 
picture of the church, one where conflict and disagreement and mess were par for the course. Now listen, if the church is a community that professes salvation by niceness or politeness or having it all together, you can't go through conflict. It has to be avoided. You have to steer around it in gossip or in passive aggressiveness or in ignorance because you have to protect your reputation or your self-righteousness or your rightness at all costs. Because if salvation is by niceness or by being polite or whatever, that's how you know you're okay. But if at its core the church is instead a community that professes salvation by grace and grace alone for sinners who are broken, fallen, and messy, you ought to, on the one hand, expect messiness and conflict when you get into the church. And on the other hand, you ought to find a resource for going through conflict in a way that is hard and difficult, but that is also full of grace and healing and redemption. See, my temperament and my personality, I naturally hate conflict. Hate it. And I'm guessing 80 to 90% of you can relate to that. Um, The others of you, we don't understand you, but we're thankful for you. And listen, the way you become a person who can go through conflict in a way that's healing and redemptive isn't by trying to strike balance in your life. It isn't by saying, I'm just going to try to be harder now and firmer and tougher. I can tell you, I've seen that happen. And that always ends in disaster and with you being a real jerk to people around you. Here's what you have to do if you're going to be a person that goes through conflict in a way that's healing and redemptive. You have to lean into a salvation that is completely by grace, that tells you your identity is not in your performance and not in what other people think about you. You have to lean into a salvation that is by grace that frees you to say, I'm sorry. I blew it, I screwed up, and not be defensive or self-protective because you are welcomed by grace. You have to lean into a salvation that's by grace that frees you to forgive and reconcile and move towards people even when it's messy, even when it's hard and dirty and uncomfortable. Look what God did through a ministry in conflict across racial, cultural, and economic lines where real people were hurting, where there was freedom to bring complaints, and there was freedom to receive complaints in grace. And so let me ask ask you this. What might God do in your life, in our life, if we are willing to lean into a salvation that is completely by grace from beginning to end? Through it, he might bring healing and redemption and life to us. All right, second, 
a ministry of deed. Okay, so through conflict, the church recognized the importance of deed ministry, ministry that is directed at real personal felt needs of people, right? Ministry of mercy, of compassion, of service. Look at verse 2, when the disciples got together and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Let me tell you what's happening here. They are not demoting a ministry of deed, but rather they are promoting a ministry of deed among them. The ministry of word and deed, they were saying, is necessary. They were shaping ministry to ensure that the ministry of deed was not forgotten, that real hurting people among them were not forgotten. And by the way, when you read that verse and you you come across uh, where it says serving tables in verse 2, it probably sounds weird at first, but we're not talking about, you know, waiters waiting on tables. Um, It's a literal translation of the Greek word diakonane, where we obviously get our word deacon. They were talking about those who would be set apart to serve the real practical felt needs of people. And it's why in the end they chose seven men, seven deacons to focus on this necessary ministry of deed. So look, when humanity fell into sin, the consequences of that were more than just spiritual brokenness. It was also physical and emotional and psychological and social brokenness that entered the world. The death of a husband and hunger and poverty weren't a part of God's original design for his creation. And neither is any injustice or mistreatment or sickness or abuse or oppression. A friend of mine sent me a helpful article this week by Anthony Bradley, and in it, Bradley referenced the Scottish Presbyterian Church's Manual of Christian Church Doctrine, where they write this, the church representing Christ in his fullness has a ministry to need bodily as well as spiritual. All works of charity lie within the church's duty. Every work of reclamation or of preservation All protection of helplessness, or prevention of evil, or defense of the oppressed, or rebuke of injustice is proper to it. The church is called to speak and to act for him who had compassion on the multitudes. The fruit of knowing and loving Jesus individually and corporately is a renewed effort to bring an end to suffering and injustice and brokenness and poverty and to protect the weak and to protect the helpless, to bring redemption and healing where the results of the fall are seen and felt in life and to restore creation's glory. Think about this one who had compassion on the multitudes. They flocked to hear him teach. But that's not the only reason they flocked to him. They flocked to him to have his healing touch. Right? Th- think about Jesus' miracles. 
Because Jesus never flexes his muscles for show, to wow people with his power. I mean, he could have used his power like that, you know, shot lightning from his fingertips or turned mountains upside down or soared through the air. I I, I don't know. But he never used his power like that. He always and only used his power to bring healing to the hurting. He made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. He raised the dead. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He came to touch the wounds of the fall and undo brokenness and set captives free and bring total healing. Every miracle he did was about reversing and turning back the effects of the fall and restoring what is broken. Jamal and Latika. Two main characters of one of my favorite movies, Slumdog Millionaire. Um, Both orphans in the slums of Mumbai, India. And they grew up together as children, and Jamal fell in love with Latika. And during the course of their story, as the movie plays, you see them, they, they just keep getting separated time after time after time. And as you watch their stories unfold, you see the real hard, harsh, frightening, and painful things they had to deal with in life and that they endured. And their lives were, were full of wounds, full of scars, both literal and metaphorical. Right? At one point, Latika was left with this scar running down her cheek, left by a knife in this terribly tragic and traumatic circumstance of abuse. But finally, at the end of the movie, Jamal and Latika, they're reunited, the love story complete. They're reunited at this train station, if you've ever seen the movie. And in that climactic moment, Jamal pulled Latika close for the kiss, right? Only he didn't kiss her lips. The camera zoomed in on that scar on Latika's cheek, and he pressed his lips to that scar. And if you've seen the movie, you know that at that moment, at that kiss, the entire movie starts playing in reverse. First time I saw it, I was sitting on my couch, and I thought I sat on the the remote control, and it started playing in reverse. What's the director trying to say with that move? He's telling you about the healing power of that kiss, that touch, which had the power to reverse and undo the wounds and to restore Latika and to rewrite her story. Jesus' healing ministry was about kissing the wounds of his broken creation and reversing the effects of the fall, and restoring creation's glory. And quote, the church is called to speak and to act for him who had compassion on the multitudes. He has given this ministry of deed to the church and to the office of deacon. All works of charity lie within the church's duty to kiss the wounds and undo the brokenness. Two points of application before we move on to the last point. One, you and I 
really need to thank those men who serve as deacons for us. You ask me, I'll give you a list of their names. They enter into the mess and brokenness to bring healing on our behalf. And it is hard, and it is messy, and it is complicated. It it, it could be that you're hearing all this and you're thinking to yourself, I want to see more of that. Right? I want to see more of that in this church. I want to see more of this kind of stuff in the city. The church in action. Right? Here, let me, here's the secret sauce to moving men who are gifted and called to deed ministry. This is it. Blow them away with your encouragement. Encourage them relentlessly. Thank them often. Give generously to the work of the ministry of deed. Ask them how you can help and come alongside them. Volunteer to help before they even ask you for it. And then watch and see if the ministry of deed doesn't begin to flow more freely and powerfully among us into this community, into this city. All right, second, nominate men who are already doing this kind of stuff the office of deacon who are those men who move towards suffering with compassion who give up their time and treasure to respond to needs around them who are those men who do more than talk about serving but get their hands down into the dirt and mess and brokenness and pain of life those men who have experienced who have so experienced the love and grace and mercy of Jesus that it moves them to bring an end to all suffering, injustice, poverty, and brokenness now. It, these, in this passage, they didn't just pick anyone. Verse 3, they picked out seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom. Read 1 Timothy chapter 3, 18 through 13 for a fuller list of qualifications. But here's what it's saying, nominate men who love Jesus. And it is shown in their love for meeting the felt needs of others, a ministry of deed. All right, last, let's talk about a ministry of word. So verses 2 and 4 show that the apostles and the disciples here weren't just, they weren't just promoting a ministry of deed. They were doing that. But they were also maintaining a ministry of word. Right? See, the ministry of deeds seeks to minister to visible felt needs, but the ministry of word calls attention to meeting less visible needs, but needs that are just as important. You know, the gospel writers often summarized Jesus' ministry like this. It's an example in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. It's both and, a ministry of deed, healing visible felt needs, right? Every disease and affliction among the people he was healing, right? And it's a ministry of word. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. How is it that a ministry of word, proclaiming the gospel, meets less visible needs in our lives. Paul Tripp writes that it is so tempting 
to look at the trouble in our lives and, quote, locate the problem outside of ourselves. Right? We all have a tendency to locate the problem outside of us. And it often looks like and starts like this. This is what it sounds like in your head, maybe. If my wife would just, if my husband would just, if I just had a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, if my parents had only, if my kids would just, if the government would just do more, if the government would just do less, if my boss would just, if my employees would, if I had more money, if I had those opportunities, if the church leadership would just, and on and on we could go. And we're saying, then I'd be okay. Then I'd be whole. Then I would be complete. Then I would be happy. And of course your spouse and your parents and your boss and church leaders will fail you. That's a given. Right? But Tripp writes, the Bible reminds us that the real problem is always inside of us. Right? The ministry of word digs beneath the circumstances to, to the deeper unseen problem in our hearts. It exposes unseen, unseen needs, not to hurt you, but to heal you and redeem you. Uh, some of y'all have heard me talk about paper cuts before. Um, paper cuts, in my opinion, are terrible. Um, not because they hurt so bad, um, and not because if you get one, you might bleed to death or something. It's hardly any blood is drawn. They're terrible, in my opinion, because you always get them on your fingers. Unless you're doing something really weird with paper I don't know about. But and what happens is you forget about that little scratch. You forget about that little open wound on your finger until you go wash your hands with soap or you're at lunch and you squeeze a lemon into your iced tea or you reach your hand into a bag of salty potato chips and all of a sudden it burns and it stings and it aggravates that little cut and you don't blame the soap, you don't blame the lemon, you don't blame the chips. <laughs> you're reminded in that moment that you are the problem you have an open wound. You're cut. The ministry of word works kind of like that. It bumps up against and aggravates and calls attention to your deeper wounds and brokenness. It says, let's call attention to your anxiety, your bitterness, your fears, your anger, it digs underneath and it asks the question, why? Why are you so anxious? Why are you so bitter? Why are you so afraid? What deeper wound are you trying to heal with your career or money or your family or the approval of others that fills you with anxiety whenever it's threatened or turns to bitterness and anger when things don't go right? Or flip the script a little, the ministry of the word comes in and says, let's dig underneath and call attention to why you do the good things you do. Are you really obedient because you love God and your neighbor? 
Or is it because you want to appear good? And you want others to think well of you? Or you want to gain power over those who don't behave like you? Or that you want to put God in your debt so that he owes you a good life now? You know, there are lots of reasons to be good that have nothing to do with loving God and your neighbor. And the ministry of the word comes along and it's like salt touching your open wound, calling attention to your deeper poverty, your deeper alienation, your deeper hunger, your deeper sickness, your deeper helplessness. And the Bible calls that sting, that burn, conviction, right? Conviction of sin, of your heart's estrangement and alienation from God. Jesus' ministry exemplified the ministry of word by, we read it, proclaiming the gospel, right? The good news of the kingdom. So how can salt in a wound bring conviction, you know, in a way, and how can that be good news to us? It just hurts, right? Well, I was living in Jackson, Mississippi when Jennifer and I my wife and I were dating, and um, it, got read, it got to the time where I was going to propose to her. And so I came home to Baton Rouge to shop for a ring. Um, and I, I think I visited almost every jewelry store in Baton Rouge um, looking for that perfect ring. And so I went to a lot of jewelry stores. And every store I went into, I had the exact same experience. I would walk up to the counter and I would say, I want to look at that ring right there. And every time that jeweler behind the counter would pull out this little black piece of velvet and set it on top of the counter, and then he would take the ring out and he would put it on top of that uh, black piece of velvet. Why? Because of the contrast. Because against that dark backdrop, it called attention to the diamond's beauty. Right Against that dark backdrop, it shined and it sparkled in its brilliance. Yes, the ministry of the Word convicts and calls attention to our deeper poverty, alienation, and sin and all that. And it's good news because against that dark backdrop, we see the beauty of Jesus shine in all His love, grace, and mercy to us. Right, he came into this world to meet our deepest need and heal our relationship with God. He did it by emptying himself of his riches and glory, by taking on flesh. He did it by dying alone on the cross, forsaken, alienated by all his friends and by God himself. He did it by taking our sin upon himself, by being made to be sin for us in our place so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The malediction, the bad word, it fell on him and he was cursed. Why? So that the benediction, God's good word, might rest upon us and fall upon us Acts chapter 6 tells us 
about the shaping of a ministry to reflect the church's redemptive mission in the world, a ministry that moves towards seen and unseen brokenness in people's lives with the life-giving power of the gospel that ministers to the whole man, bodily and spiritually. So here's what I want two sentences here, maybe. Um, so please, take the nomination of deacons seriously this month because we long to see this kind of ministry in this, in this church and in this city. We want to see it flow freely and powerfully so that all the things that we see at the end of this passage are true here, that the Word of God might increase, right? that the number of disciples might multiply greatly, that many would come to faith in Jesus. So I don't know if you, hopefully you got one of these forms when you walked in. If you didn't, they'll be on the table out in the foyer. These are the nomination forms. Just fill that out. Um, It's got instructions on it. And then a great place to put it would be in the box um, that's in the back of our sanctuary where we normally leave our tithes and our gifts and our offerings. So, um, well, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity and the time um, allotted to us in your providence to hold nominations for the office of deacon. And we do thank you for those men who even right now are serving in that capacity, serving us and serving our community with deeds of mercy and compassion in service. And Father, we pray that um, we pray that this morning's time that we have spent together in Acts chapter six would be useful to us in exciting us about the ministry of the church that seeks to minister to the whole person, um, and that it would increase our excitement for this opportunity to go through this process of nominating and training men up for the office of deacon. And we pray that your spirit would be poured out, um, that in, uh, in working to do this ministry better, that the life-giving message of Jesus would be flowing freely and powerfully in our community, and that we would see the results of that. Father, we thank you uh, for the good news that we do have proclaimed to us in Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.